0: Well, welcome to our th- part three of our It Is Written series. I've been having a great time with this sermon this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. But before we do that, there's somebody I want you to meet. Yeah, that's my uh, new grandbaby, grandson Landry, Ivan, Walter. Ryland and Lauren had their baby this week. Ryland's our worship leader, so many of you know him. Uh, weighed seven pounds, nine ounces, 20.5 inches. Mom and baby are doing fine. Dad's a little giddy. But uh, he was actually here first service today. Uh, Landry is a name, been in our family name hopper for over 20 years. We finally found a kid who wanted it. So we're really excited uh, about him. And uh, Ivan was my father-in-law's name. My wife's Katie's dad, Ivan Nelson. Ivan is one of the most godly men I've ever known. And so we're real excited that this little guy can carry on the legacy of, uh, the legacy of his name. But they're both doing great. I'm just going to leave that up all service so you can just stare at it like I have been all week. And uh, no, actually, we're going to jump right in. Pick up where we left off last week on your notes on the screen. Second Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is, say the next word with me, useful. Say it again. Useful. The Bible is useful. It's not meant to be read and then set aside. It's not meant to be looked at once in a religious experience in the week. No, the Bible was intended to be used, to be used in your marriage, used in your finances, used in your job, used in your health, used with your kids, every area of your life, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, okay? It's to be used so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so my goal for this brand new year is, is to give you the two most important disciplines of the Christian life. One is to pray. That's why we're doing t- pray first, 21 days of prayer. And we're not going to just pray for 21 days and then stop. The goal is 21 days is enough time for you to establish a habit that you can carry with you through the rest of the year. Carry with you through, really through the rest of your life. That's one of the wings of the Christian life is prayer. The other wing is the Word, the Word of God. You've got to learn it, love it, and live it. Both wings You need them both if you're going to soar. So today I want to talk to you about why the Bible can be trusted. Uh, Jesus said, Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. How do we know? How do we know the Bible can be trusted? And so the, this message today is apologetic in nature. And when I say it's apologetic, I don't mean that I'm apologizing for the Bible. and Folks, when it comes to the Bible, I ain't apologizing for nothing, okay? That's bad grammar, it's good preaching, okay? I ain't apologizing for nothing. But apologetics is a term that, that refers to the branch of theology that's concerned with the defense and rational justification of Christianity, Okay. apologetics is a method of argument it's how you prove something is valid and true and i'll just tell you flat out i'm not skilled at, at apologetics it's not at one of the disciplines that i have pursued for me god said it that settles it i just read it and do it read it and do it but fortunately there are others who are very skilled in this area Uh, Josh McDowell is probably the best apologist of our era. And if you've never read his books, More Than a Carpenter or Evidence That Demands a Verdict, I'd encourage you to read them. Go to his website, check out his information. Uh, Lee Strobel is another one that's great at explaining and defending the faith. Lee Strobel was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune Uh, and just a rough, tumble uh, journalist. And his wife got saved and it made him mad because he was an atheist. And so he set out to investigate the Bible to prove to her that it was a bunch of bunk and was wrong, and instead he came to the conclusion that it was true and gave his life to Christ, and he spent the rest of his life defending the Bible and the faith. And so his books, "The Case for Faith and "The Case for Christ," are excellent. I highly encourage you to read them. But today, I'm going to give you seven reasons why the Bible can be trusted. And the first one is, it is historically accurate. It's historically accurate, and that flies in the face of those who would say, well, you know, the Bible's got some good principles. It's got some good teaching, but, you know, the, uh, the stuff in there about Noah and the ark and Jonah and the whale and Jericho and the walls and all that, that's, those are just myths and stories. Those are just all made up. The problem with that is is that history supports the Bible. The Bible's not just a book of principles. It's accurate Historically. The Bible itself says, for the word of the Lord is right and true. Historians would tell you that for something to be historically accurate, it has to pass three tests. Not just biblical history, but for any history. And the first test is, it has to include eyewitness accounts. It can't just be based on hearsay stories from third parties. It's got to include eyewitnesses who saw the stuff happen. Most of the Bible, the books, are written by the eyewitnesses. They're written by the people who were there and saw what happened. The Gospels are written by the men who lived and walked uh, with Jesus. They saw the events happen. Eyewitness accounts. Second, uh, historical documents must be recorded and copied with extreme care. And in this area, the Jewish scribes, uh, they had a standard that no one else uh, has ever had in regarding uh, recorded history. I mean, they didn't, they didn't transcribe it word for word. They transcribed it letter for letter. When they, when they would transcribe one of the scrolls of the first five books of the Bible, you know, they didn't just count the words, they counted the letters. And so when a scribe was done, he'd give it to his scribe supervisor, and he knew what the middle letter was in the first five books of the Bible. He would turn to that letter and then count the letters back to the beginning and count the letters to the end of it. And the numbers had to match. If they didn't, they burnt the scroll. may have taken the guy months to copy it, but it's corrupt. They couldn't use it. They burnt it. That's how meticulous they were in recording and copying uh, the Word of God. In 1948, they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were a 1,000 years older than any Hebrew manuscripts that we had at that time. So, our ability to look at at the Hebrew uh, scriptures jumped a millennium. It jumped a thousand years in in that one discovery. But when you lay out the manuscripts we had and the Dead Sea Scrolls, they match letter for letter. (laughs) That's how meticulous they were when they uh, transcribed God's word. Uh, Third, uh, there must be archaeological confirmation. And, and that's true with the Bible. For a number of years, I was a member of the Biblical Archaeological Society. And in 1984, I took a trip to Israel, visited a bunch of archaeological sites, got to see for myself the ruins and the artifacts they were discovering. And they're finding stuff over there to this day that confirms the Bible over and over and over again. And, you know, skeptics, they, they keep thinking that they're going to find that one thing that proves that the Bible's not true and dan brown and tom hanks have made a billion dollars with these silly you know books about you know the myth that the bible's not true and all this stuff and it's just the opposite archaeology confirms again and again and again that the bible's historically accurate number 2 the bible you can trust the bible because it's scientifically accurate God is the God of the universe. God is the one who created the laws of the universe, the laws of science, mathematics, astronomy, physics. And so when God's word talks about these things, it's true. Psalm 148, let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. Now, the Bible is not a science textbook, and so it doesn't use scientific language. But the Bible is still accurate scientifically. Uh, In 1861, the, the French Academy of Science came out with a pamphlet titled, 51 Incontrovertible Scientific Facts That Prove the Bible is Wrong. And since 1861, all 51 of those scientific facts have been proven to be wrong. Okay. the bible was right the scientists were wrong the Bible's not only accurate in what it says it's accurate in what it doesn't say because there there was a settled science in the time of the writing of the bible but none of those things that were widely accepted by science that were wrong none of them found their way into the bible The Bible didn't buy into the settled science of of the day. It didn't buy into the errors that were commonly held by the scientists. For instance, science of that day believed the earth was flat. It wasn't until the 1400s that science began to consider that the earth was round. But 2600 years ago, the Bible said, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and the Hebrew word there for circle is the word for sphere or globe. The Bible said the earth was round before Columbus ever set sail. Why didn't the subtle science that, that the earth was flat show with them up in the Bible? Well, maybe man didn't write it. Maybe God did. Maybe God protected his word so that it was true and flawless. Another common belief uh, back when the Bible was written is that the earth <clears throat> had to be held up. Uh, the Greeks believed that the earth was held up by atlas. And you know, you've probably seen the statue of the, of the guy, looks a lot like me, uh, the guy that, you know, he, he's holding the, the earth on his, on his shoulders. Hindus believe that the earth rested on an elephant standing on a sea turtle setting on a serpent that was swimming through the sea. Okay? I mean, get yourself some of that. Yeah. And the Egyptians, you know, the... the mathematic geniuses, the architectural geniuses that built the pyramid, they believed that the earth was resting on five pillars. Now, what's interesting is, is that Moses was schooled in Egyptian thought. Moses was raised in the household of, of, of Pharaoh. He would have been exposed to, to Egyptian thought, yet none of the errors of Egyptian thought made their way into the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. didn't make its way into the creation account. Why? Because God preserved his word from error. In fact, the oldest book in your Bible, the oldest book in your Bible is the book of Job. Uh, you know, after creation, the, the next event that happens in the Bible is the story of Job. And Job said this He said, He spreads out the northern skies over empty space, He suspends the earth over nothing. Well, how did Job know that? Maybe the Holy Spirit of God told him that when job was writing down his story you know my wife when she was a kid she was in science class and and the teacher told him that the universe was collapsing you know it was settled science when we were kids that the universe was collapsing in on itself and katie told the teacher she said you know i don't i don't believe that because the bible says eight times that god stretches out the heavens well guess what settled science now is that the universe is expanding well, the Bible knew that. The Bible knew that long before we did. During the time the Bible was written, science believed it was possible to count the number of stars. Hipparchus, in 150 B.C., counted the stars, counted uh, 1,022 of them. And uh, 300 years later, uh, Ptolemy, the one of the heroes of astronomy, said, no, no, Hipparchus is wrong. No, there, there is actually 1,026 Hipparchus missed for. But 2,600 years ago, Jeremiah wrote, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. Medical science. Medical science of those days. Hippocrates was the father of, of medicine. In fact, doctors today still operate under the Hippocratic Oath. Hippocrates believed that four things determined your health. Four things. Black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. Okay. There, there's four topics that will clear an auditorium if you, if you want to start talking about those. Okay. But, but that was the prevalent medical opinion for hundreds of years. And, and they believed that too much blood made you sick. In fact, you know uh, uh, King George of England, the one that we revolted against? King George's medical doctors were operating under these principles, almost killed him because they were, they, were, they were treating him according to these principles George Washington, our first president they, they was killed by his doctors because they bled him to death because they thought he was sick and he, they had got to get the bad blood out so they put leeches on him and they were cutting his neck, bleeding the guy if they just would have looked at the Bible Leviticus 17 says for the life of the body is in its blood you know, if somebody's sick they don't need less blood in fact, they may need more blood they may need a transfusion. That's one of the reasons why we do blood drives. Because it's biblical. In the Middle Ages, the uh, bubonic plague swept across Europe, killed one out of every four people. Twenty-five percent of Europe died from one disease. Why? Because they didn't understand the concept of contagion. They didn't understand that you could pass a disease from one person to another with contact. And, uh, and so... They just would have read Leviticus 13. It says, bring the sick person to the priest. The priest will quarantine the person for seven days. The Bible says, if you get the sick person away from you, they'll get better and you won't die from the same thing. It's in the Bible the whole time. Why? Because man didn't write it. God did. God knew that. Read this verse with me. And the words of the Lord are flawless like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. If you'll begin to believe that, it'll change your life. Number three, you can trust the Bible because it is prophetically accurate. Prophetically accurate. There were 1,000 prophecies in the Bible, over 300 regarding Jesus alone. And the prophecies of Jesus were were given over a period of a 1,000 years, and the last one... Before, that was given before Jesus was born was given 400 years before he was born. For us, that would be like the last prophecy came over on the Mayflower in the 1600s. How can you know the details of someone's life 400 years before they're born? And not just general uh, hocus-pocus horoscope you know, predictions like, he's going to have a really good day. No, it's details like he's going to be born in Bethlehem and then they're going to come to Bethlehem and kill the babies and he's going to have to flee to Egypt and then he's going to come back and he's going to live in Nazareth and Galilee and then he's going to ride a donkey into uh, the city of Jerusalem. And I love this one. David predicted that Jesus would be crucified hundreds of years before they were killing people with crucifixion. Psalm 22, David describes the Messiah dying a death from crucifixion before it had even been invented. The Romans are the ones who invented crucifixion. I mean, how did David do that? Well, the Holy Spirit of God inspired him when he wrote Psalm 22. Dr. Peter Stoner uh, did a study called Science Speaks, and he had 600 probability experts do a project for him. Uh, Probability experts study the chances of something happening. You know, what are the odds that this is going to happen? And so this team studied the probability of one person fulfilling the 300 prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled. What are the odds of that happening? They found out that the chances of one person fulfilling eight of the prophecies, just eight, not 300, just eight, is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a number with one, number one with 17 zeros behind it. I mean, I don't even know what the number is. It's so big. And it, let me give you a picture of that number. If you, had, if you had that many silver dollars, you could cover the state of Texas with silver dollars. Two feet deep. That's how big that number. You know how big Texas is? It's 14 hours from Texarkana to El Paso. You ever driven across the state of Texas? You know, I rode across the state of Texas once in a car. And I did it once because that's a mistake you don't make twice in your life. Okay. Some of you are shaking your heads like, yeah, I did that too. I mean, it's just miles and miles and miles and miles. I mean, but if, if, you, if you covered the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep and you marked one of them and put it in the mix and then you put a guy in a helicopter in Oklahoma and blindfolded him and said, we're going to fly you out over the state of Texas. We're going to lower you down. We want you to reach in there and grab the one we marked. That would be the odds of of one person fulfilling eight of those prophecies. The odds of filling 16 of the prophecies is one in 10 to the 45th power. The odds of filling 48 of them, not 300, only 48, is one in 10 to the 157th power. And to illustrate that, I'd have to get down to the electron level and you're not going to be able to picture it anyway. I mean, the odds of Jesus Christ fulfilling... 300 of those prophecies is astronomically impossible. It's impossible. Perhaps prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God's the one who directed all of this. That's why Jesus said you can trust those prophecies. Jesus said this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. And by the way, some of those prophecies are yet to be fulfilled. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of the fulfillment of those prophecies. You know, you you read the book of Revelation, you can see in our day, the whole world is setting itself up to fulfill uh, the, the prophecies of God. Revelation 22, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal that Jesus fulfilled all of that. And yet some people say, well, you know, you say enough stuff, you're bound to get something right. I mean, that's kind of what happened with the Bible. I tell you, uh, for me, It takes more faith to believe the prophecies of the Bible are coincidence than to believe that God planned them. I mean, 1 to 10 to the 157th power for just 48 of them? I mean, I don't have that much faith. (laughs) I don't have that much faith. i got enough faith to believe that God's sovereign. God planned it. God made it happen. Next, the Bible can be trusted because it is thematically unified. It has one theme and it, it, it has one subject. It tells one story. And that would be understandable if it were written by one person. But the Bible was written by 40 different writers over the course of 1600 years on three continents in three languages in 12 different countries. And yet they all write about one theme and one person without contradiction. After the resurrection, Jesus met with his disciples, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In all the scriptures, and again, at that time, it was just the Old Testament. You know, I told you last week that the the Bible is about Jesus. I mean, you read the Bible, find Jesus. Read the Bible, find Jesus. One of the great Bible study guides of our era is, uh, is a book written by Henrietta Mears. It's called uh, What the Bible is All About. There's actually a children's version called What the Bible is All About for Kids. And it was written by uh, Francis Blankenbaker. But one of the cool things about that book is that at the beginning of each chapter, when she discusses the different books of the Bible, she's got a little section there that says, this is where you'll find Jesus in this book. This is where you'll find Jesus in Genesis. This is where you'll find Jesus in Numbers. This is where you'll find Jesus in the Psalms. This is where you'll find Jesus in the prophet Amos. This is where you'll find Jesus. Because Why? Because it's 40 writers, but it's one author, God. And it has one theme, one subject, Jesus. It's thematically unified. Number five, the Bible can be trusted because it is trusted by Jesus. It's trusted by Jesus. People say, oh, I love Jesus. But, you know, I don't know about that Bible. I mean, I don't know about that book, but I love me some Jesus. Well, I don't think you can trust Jesus without trusting in the Bible. Because Jesus trusted in the Bible. And in fact, he tells us to trust in the Bible. So how can you trust in somebody who tells you to trust in something that you think is untrustworthy? It doesn't work. voids itself out. So if you trust in Jesus, you've got to trust in what he trusted. And Jesus trusted in the Bible. He said, for truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus trusted in the Bible. People say, yeah, but I don't understand it. Or you'll hear, well, you know, I think we should. Or I think we ought to. Or I think it's this way. Or I believe God does it like this. I believe God is like that. And rather than believing in the God that is revealed to us in the Bible, we create a God out of our own mind. We create God in our image. We have him do and act and behave and be the way we think he ought to be. That's just idolatry. It's just idolatry. You know? Oh, pastor, you know, things are different now. It's a different world now than it was when the Bible was written. Times have changed. Well, uh, instead of you changing the Bible to fit you, you need to change to fit the Bible. Because it's reliable. It's trustworthy. It's true. It's flawless. It's perfect. Look at this, Look at this statement. If you believe what you like in the Bible and don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible that you trust, but yourself. If you're just going to follow the parts of the Bible that you like, you are setting yourself up as a judge over the Bible. You don't want to do that. I mean, do you really want to trust the eternal destiny of your soul. Do you really want to trust the eternal destiny of the souls of your children and your grandchildren? Do you really want to trust all of that to what you think? Are you, are you trustworthy enough for that? I mean, how historically accurate are you? How scientifically accurate are you? How prophetically accurate are you? How thematically unified are you? Do you want to gamble the eternal destiny of your soul and the souls of your children and your grandchildren on you and the religion and the God that you create out of your own mind? Or do you want to trust God and God's Word? I mean, there's no way the Bible could have done could have done everything I have just told you about, and there's more to come. No way the Bible could have done all that unless it were the trustworthy Word of God. It's true, it's right, it's perfect in every way. You can trust it. Number six, you can trust it because it has survived all attacks. And let's just stop right there and ask why is it under attack? You know, you ever notice the, the, the attack on Christianity in the Bible? I mean, it's like no other religion. Uh, Why is that? Could it be that the enemy wants to keep you far from it? Maybe that's why the Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book ever. And yet it still endures, and it's still here, and it's still saving souls, and it's still changing lives. Read this verse with me. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Back in the 1700s, there was a French philosopher named Voltaire. And Voltaire was so cool, he only had one name, Voltaire. And uh, actually, his, his uh, real name was Francois-Marie Arouet which is why he wanted everybody to call him Voltaire. But he he was a strong critic of the Bible and and the church. In fact, he wrote over 20,000 books and poems and plays and just a a constant critic of religion and faith and, and the Bible. In fact, he said at one point, within 100 years, the Bible will be forgotten. You know, the only thing that's been forgotten is Voltaire. I mean, how many of you got up this morning and read you some Voltaire? Anybody re- do that? Okay. I mean, if you did, that's fine. Just don't build your life on it. And, and I think it's, it's God humor that after Voltaire died, his home became the headquarters for the French Bible Society. <laughs> I love that. Uh, anyway. But every one of us, every one of us needs to decide. What is going to be the first and the final authority of my life? What's going to be the first? What what am I going to go to first? What's going to be the final? What has the final say in my life? And I use the word authority intentionally because I don't just come to the Bible for my little kumbaya moments. I don't come for a pep talk to get me through the week. No, I'm living it. I am building my life on it. I want it to be the foundation of my life. I want to get into a group and and explore it. I want it to be my first and final authority. And there may be times when when the Bible says things I don't agree with. There may be times when it tells me to do things I don't want to do, but I don't get to make up the rules in the Bible. I just get to follow them. I, I just surrender my life to the first and final authority of God's Word. Why? Why do I do that? Because I can trust it. I can trust it with my soul. I can trust it with my eternity. And I'll tell you, and I don't say this, I don't say this proudly. This is this is not this is not a boast, this is a prayer. But they can arrest me and they can put me in jail and they can beat me and they can kill me. But I am not going to deny the word of God. And I understand that the world is trending in a different direction. Well, let it trend. Let it go. And I understand that the government can, can write laws contraries to God's word. Well, let them. But I'm not going to follow them. Last proof that you can trust the Bible. And, and this one you can test yourself. And it's one of the, I've told you before, just give, give us a year of your life. Give us 2017 as an experiment. You know, the stuff we do around here, weekend services, small groups, growth track, dream team. I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't make it up. I'm not that smart. I didn't make this stuff up. It's not my plan, not my design. God made it up. You know, pastors have looked into God's words and what does God want the church to do? What does he want us to be as believers? How does he want us to live? What does he want us to accomplish? What are the purposes that he has for our life? And then we put together a process to help you do it. Why do we do that? Because it'll change your life. Because the Bible has transforming power. It has transforming power. That's why you can trust it. I hear this from people all the time. I hear it from you. I mean, you, you tell me, the Bible has changed my life. The Bible has, has saved my marriage. The Bible rescued my finances. You know, th- thank you. Thank you, pastor. And I'm like, well, don't thank me. I didn't do it. I just pointed you to the one and the what. I just pointed you to the one and the what that changed my life, saved my marriage, rescued my finances. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And the one and the what, the one is Jesus and the what is God's word. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. And that word hold is important because there's a difference between being a church attender and a a disciple. There's a difference between being a believer and a disciple. Because a disciple is one who holds on to Jesus' teaching. And I just want to encourage you to make the decision, make the commitment. This year, I'm going to take hold of God's Word like never before. I'm going to build my life on God's Word. I'm going to learn it, love it, and live it like I never have before. And I just want to, uh, just give me a year of your life. You know, come to the weekend services. Just be as faithful as you can to worship. And I, and I honor you for that. I realize with that one, and I'm preaching to the choir Because you guys, you know, you didn't listen to all this ice apocalypse stuff they were scaring us with. You know, you just got in the car and drove over to church. Good for you. Good for you. And I'm not telling you to be unsafe or foolish about it, but just come to worship. You know, get in a small group. Sign-ups are starting this week. You can shop online for a group or there's catalogs in the back, but get into a group. Explore God's Word with other believers. Go through growth track. Take you four Sunday afternoons to get through growth track. You know, they moved the Chiefs game today because it conflicted with our growth track. <laughs> yeah, they moved it so you could come to 301 this afternoon. And in 301, Discovery, You can discover your spiritual gifts, your personality, your heart for ministry. And, and, you know, just move through growth track and then get on a dream team. Start serving. Find a place to start pouring your life out for the cause of Christ and His church. And you do those things, and and I tell you what, weekend services, small group, growth track, dream team, it'll build your life on God's Word, and it'll transform your life. Jesus says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It'll set you free. Trust the Bible. You can trust it. Learn it. Love it. Live it. Let's pray together. This is a time where we make decisions, and and if you want to make the decision to hold on to God's Word today, just, just pray this prayer quietly with me. Just say, God, Your Word is perfect, right, and true. It is flawless. And so I put my trust in Your Word, regardless of whether I understand it or even agree with it. God, I I want your word to be the first and final authority in my life. And maybe you're here today and and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. This is is your moment to make that decision, that commitment, to just say, Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. And now I I give my life to you. I, I recognize that you are who you said you are. You are who the Bible said you are. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're the one I can trust with my very soul And so I surrender myself to you, and I'm going to follow you. God, I I pray for our our church. I pray this will be a year of spiritual growth like no other. I I pray that you will do a transforming, a healing work in the hearts and lives of our people, and that you will set us free. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.